The last time I think I was really alarmed, shocked, even afraid, was back during the floods. I think it was the Saturday night and there was an almighty crack of thunder. Uh, I later heard it was from a lightning strike uh, near the Thompsons, so a bit over a kilometre from our place. Owen and Sharon slept straight through it, but it woke me with a fright. And I think with the the noise of the rain and my heart pounding, uh, it took me an hour or so to get back to sleep. Uh, You might be brave like the Thompsons, but there are many things people understandably find alarming, even frightening. Uh, Things happening in our lives, uh, things happening in the world. Uh, In most situations, fear is a posture, an attitude toward the future. Uh, If you're walking through the bush and you're afraid of snakes, as you start walking, you might be a little bit anxious of what you might come across. And then if a snake slithers across your path, then you are afraid of what it might do to you. Fear is a posture, an attitude toward the future. On the day Jesus rose from the dead, the future came crashing into the present. Jesus' resurrection is, of course, history for us. It's an historical event. But at the same time, it's about the future. It's about God's future coming into our present. And since fear is about the future, it's not surprising that fear and alarm are words we hear over and over again in Mark's account of what happens when people come face to face with resurrection. In Mark's biography of Jesus... Uh, Things finish on the Friday Jesus was crucified and all is darkness. And on that dark day, Mark finishes by telling us about some faithful women. All the blokes who followed Jesus had fled, but there were some faithful women, women who'd followed him from the beginning, and they were there right to the end. Uh, In Mark 15 we read, Some women were watching from a distance, Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Uh, They're standing watch in darkness. And as Jesus is laid in a rock tomb and the stone is rolled across the entrance, sealing the tomb, these women are there. They see Jesus die. They see where he is hurriedly buried by Joseph of Arimathea. Mark continues, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The way Mark puts things together... It sounds like the darkness that began at midday, as Jesus bears the wrath of God, it continues. In reality, the sun rose on that Saturday morning, but it literally never did. We're not told what the women and the other disciples did on the Saturday. But we can guess it was a time of darkness, shared grief, Anxiety, 
fear and confusion about the future. The one they thought was God's king, the Messiah, lies in a tomb. But on the first day of the week, the day we call Sunday, the light dawns. Some of the same women who saw Jesus buried, they get up at the crack of dawn. They're driven, they're motivated. In their grief, they want to show proper respect to the Jesus they had known. And so they purchase some spices used in burying a corpse. And they head back to the tomb. Uh, This is how Mark puts it. Uh, Have a look, it's printed on the inside of your bulletin. Uh, When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. The light is dawning. Though we can see they're in the fog of grief. Although they've organised spices, As they get close to the tomb, they remember the heavy stone they had seen rolled across, sealing the tomb. Mark continues, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? For whatever reason, even with this problem, they keep walking to the tomb. Maybe they discuss pulleys and levers or they hope the three of them will be strong enough, or maybe they'll be able to find some help when they get there. But as they walk to the tomb, heads drooped, they arrive at an alarming sight. The very large, very heavy stone is not a problem. It's already rolled away. Uh, The Bible says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large had been rolled away. I reckon they're probably surprised by this, though maybe also a bit relieved. Problem solved. But as they enter the tomb, another problem hits them. Uh, This is what it says. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Of course they were alarmed. They were expecting the body of their Lord. Wrapped in the linen cloth, Joseph had got for him. They were not expecting a man dressed in white. Arguably, this is not a man, but an angel. Throughout the Bible, angels sometimes are scary beings with wings and all sorts of things, though at other times they look much like people. You read this, you see the white clothes, you hear the alarm of the women, and then you listen to the words the man says, makes it clear he's an angel, a messenger from God. And what's his message? Jesus is alive. Uh, This is what he says. It's the start of the third paragraph. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. Don't be alarmed. Do not fear. So often they're the first words to come from an angel. Their presence, their appearance is frightening, but they haven't come to frighten but to comfort. And this angel is no different. His message is the tomb is empty because Jesus is risen from the grave. Jesus is alive. And he gives three bits of proof that Jesus is risen. And this is important to notice. 
Because some people think Mark doesn't teach a real bodily resurrection. Uh, They say Mark thinks Jesus only rose spiritually or in the disciples' heart and that would be a big deal. Because most likely, Mark is the oldest of the Gospels, the one written closest to the time of Jesus, and is therefore considered to be historically most reliable even by non-believers. The idea is, Mark was written fairly soon after the time of Jesus, before myths and legends have had time to develop. And if that's the case... And if Mark doesn't record a real physical resurrection, then it would suggest Jesus didn't really rise. And the other Gospels, and actually the rest of the New Testament, is just telling us stories. And if Jesus' body is still in the grave, then what's the point of Christianity? But Mark knows, Mark tells us Jesus rose again, that his body is not in the tomb because he is alive. And the angelic messenger gives three proofs of the real resurrection of Jesus. The first is, the tomb is physically empty. There's no body there. Have a look in the middle of the third paragraph. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. If Jesus was only raised spiritually, then the body would be there, but the tomb is empty. That, of course, isn't proof by itself. The body could have been moved. But the angel continues, Jesus is alive and will meet his disciples in Galilee. Uh, This is what the man in white says. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. They will see Jesus. And they're not told, hey, why don't you go into a trance? Why don't you eat some of these funny stuff that's growing here that's going to make you see silly things? No, this isn't going to be a hallucination. No, they're going to a real place. The place they first met Jesus. The place where they first followed Jesus. And once again, they're to follow Jesus there. To the real, physical, geographical place of Galilee. And they will see him there. The women are told to go, tell. They become the first messengers, the first proclaimers of the resurrection. They're to take this message to the rest of the disciples and Peter. The angels say this because he knows Jesus is really risen. And soon the women and the disciples will see for themselves. Now what we're looking at at the moment is looking for three proofs that Jesus is really alive. We're going to get to the third proof in the moment. But before we get there, there's more going on here than just proof. Uh, This is grace. Uh, This is mercy. The little mention of Peter's name hints at this. When Jesus says he's going to Galilee and they'll see him there, the message is that Jesus is going to continue to lead his disciples. He's going to reassemble and lead those who abandoned and denied him at his most desperate moment. It's not all over, even for Peter who denied Jesus. 
on the night before he was betrayed, after eating the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus takes some words from the prophet Zechariah and applies them to himself and to the disciples. Jesus said, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The word I there is important. It takes us to the darkness of Good Friday and the forsakenness of the cross. It's God who will strike his shepherd. And what was written by the prophet Zechariah, what Jesus said, has happened. The shepherd, Jesus, their leader, was struck, arrested, mocked, tortured, executed. The sheep scattered. The disciples, except the women, fled, abandoned and denied. But in the empty tomb, there is grace. Just as an an ancient Near Eastern shepherd would lead his sheep, not droving them from behind, but leading from in front, Jesus will go before them to the place where they first met. And there he will reassemble, restore his disciples. Yes, they abandoned and denied, they were scattered, but because of the cross and the empty tomb, there is forgiveness and restoration. Jesus will continue to be their shepherd. So far we've had two proofs of the resurrection. The tomb is empty, they will see Jesus in Galilee. The third proof is this is what Jesus had said would happen. This is what the angel says. Uh, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There he will, you will see him just as he told you. At least four times Jesus said he would rise again. The final time was just after he spoke about the shepherd being struck. Uh, this is what Jesus said. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus said he would suffer. He said they would abandon him. And he also said he would rise and lead them in Galilee. Mark records Jesus saying words like this four times. I don't know what they thought when Jesus said this every time to them, but they clearly didn't comprehend until those faithful women arrived, saw the empty tomb, and I reckon what has happened and what Jesus meant starts to dawn on them. Jesus is alive, and he's going to keep leading them, not just to a physical location, not just to Galilee. The empty tomb means Jesus has gone before them into resurrection life. Jesus is leading them into God's new future. A future where sin has been paid for on the cross. A future where forgiveness is available because the ransom has been paid. A future where access to God isn't through the rituals of a now corrupted temple, but is through Jesus. Jesus' body, the temple which has been rebuilt on the third day, I think all of this is starting to dawn on them. This is huge. And not surprisingly, they struggle to take it all in and are overwhelmed with shock, confusion and even fear. 
Mark finishes his account, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, lots of people have found this a strange way for the gospel to end. The women have been commanded, go, tell, but they flee afraid and tell no one anything. Some people find this very unsatisfying. What happened next? Did they eventually go and tell? Did they see Jesus in Galilee? Now, this is a big question, uh, but now's not the time to get into the, the big question of the end of Mark's gospel. It's an important issue. It raises big questions about the trustworthiness of the Bible. But today is Resurrection Sunday. I don't want us to get sidetracked by this interesting question and have our eyes taken off Jesus. And so what I've done is I've written a short beginning of an answer to this big, tricky question. What I think is the best way to respond and to analyse the evidence and why I'm not preaching on what people call the longer ending of Mark. Uh, what I've done is there's a handful of copies of something I've written uh, where we get morning tea, where we get the hot drinks. But I've also uploaded it to the internet, to our church website. And if you scan that QR code in the bulletin, you can download the PDF and have a read. So please have a read. Uh, ask me any questions. Give me a call. Um, let's chat about it over morning tea. Uh, we can talk about it in Bible study. But for now, let's not allow that big and important question to distract us from the empty tomb. From the other Gospels, we know the women's speechlessness only lasts until they get to Peter and the other disciples. Though even if we didn't have the other Gospels, how else would we know what happened unless the women went and told? But it's appropriate, isn't it, for things to finish like this. If you've just seen the future... If you've been in an empty tomb, the place of resurrection, if you've heard an angel speak, you're not going to walk back chatting casually. This is overwhelming. You'd be awestruck by the enormity of what has happened. Uh, The future, the resurrection of the dead, which from the Old Testament, this is what happens at the end of the world, but the future is now. Resurrection life has broken into our reality. And as they stand at the empty tomb, God's future is open to them and they tremble. What are you afraid of? And what are you feeling as you look toward the future? Resurrection Sunday, uh, the empty tomb, the words of the young man... They're an invitation to you and me. Will you step into God's future? Will you follow Jesus into his future? Become one of his sheep. Receive his mercy and restoration. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know what to make of Jesus' promise of resurrection, you don't know what to do with the empty tomb, Jesus invites you to receive his new life.
We're often afraid of the future. We're afraid because we don't know what happens next. Jesus says, follow me. I've gone before you. The future is in my hand and with me there's grace, mercy and life. We sang it earlier. I don't know what lies ahead, but know that he has gone before. If you don't know Jesus, this is the invitation to you. Uh, On the welcome table, uh, we've got copies of, this is Luke's record of Jesus' life. It's not very long, as you can see. You're probably not doing much tomorrow. Why don't you grab a copy uh, and read it and meet Jesus there? And for those of us who know Jesus, the command of the angel to the women, it echoes down to us. Go. Tell. Yes, it's right to be gobsmacked by what God has done in Christ, but it's not for us to say nothing to anyone. In Christ, the future is here. Forgiveness, life, eternal life. And although it's right to be awestruck, we have great news to tell and we need not be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because the tomb is empty. This is good news, but it's also awesome that the future has broken into our present. Please open our hearts and minds to take stock of all the resurrection means. We thank you so much that this means there is forgiveness and resurrection life for all who trust in Jesus. We praise you because it means Jesus is the forever King, the Lord of all creation. Please strengthen our hearts that we might go and tell of what Jesus has done. Amen.